Good evening. This is another podcast, February 13th, 2021, of the American, Cambridge American Medical Society. Today we have the opportunity to uh, hear from uh, a, a, a distinguished member of our community, uh, Moises Rodriguez, who is a former mayor of the city of Brockton and uh, current city councillor. And uh, we're having a conversation today on healthcare disparities, access to healthcare and vaccines and testing in the middle of the 2020-2021 COVID pandemic. Hope you enjoy this conversation and uh, a very enlightening opportunity to learn about now the real uh, conditions in the city of our community. Uh, Boa Carlos ouvintes, hoje tem mais um podcast de Sociedade Capitana Americana de Médicos, que hoje não tem uma conversa com o antigo ex-presidente de Câmara de Cidade de Broughton e que recentemente foi de Câmara de Broughton. Ele está falando sobre acesso à vacina e testing in the community in Brockton, uh, impact of the COVID-19 in our community, which has been a lot of great things. So, I'm going to spare my guest this conversation, and thank you for your attention. Often votes with the other side. So technically, a lot of the votes that we take in the council somehow falls nine to two, especially when it has to do with minority issues. Anytime we're, you know, duking it out over, you know, uh, the fact that uh, marijuana now that's legal in the state, uh, the dispensaries that are being put out, uh, there was basically when Carpenter was in office, he gave out 10 host agreements. They basically went to their people. None of us got any of that stuff. So when I get, came into office, I made sure that four minority applicants actually got host agreements as well. So that actually has created a bunch of uh, issues here in the community because we only had so many licenses to give out, but we had a lot more host agreements than we uh, had licenses for. But yet they took care of their people. So I felt it was important for us to take care of our people as well. And currently we have a couple uh, minorities in the works in terms of getting a, a license to move forward with that stuff. But it's just, it's one thing. Moses, you went on mute. Unmute. Uh, the constant battle in terms of just bringing some, uh, uh, I'm talking about equality, just, just to be on an equal basis here, not even equity, you know, just to be on an equal level because the playing, the playing field has not been fair. Um, we also know that the Cape Verdean community is the largest ethnic group in the city of Brockton. We are currently a third of the kids uh, in the public school system here in the city are Cape Verdean kids. Uh, a public school system where 70% of the uh, children in that system are minority kids. And within that minority group, the vast majority are Cape Verdean kids. 
So it's safe to say that we're anywhere between 20 to 25% of the general population of the city. So when you look at a city of 100,000 people, we're looking at maybe 20 to 25,000 Cambridgeans called the city home, you know, uh, by far the largest of the single groups in a sense, you know, more than the Italians, more than the Irish, more than the, you know, some of the other uh, groups within the community. So when you put us together, uh, we're now over 50% when you add the, you know, the Haitians and the Hispanics and the African-Americans. And that's what we think. But when it comes to uh, the issues that you guys are dealing with on a regular basis, this city has been severely neglected by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts when it comes to any sort of, uh, you know, health issues. We were, uh, we know that we uh, were the, the second highest community in Massachusetts to be affected by COVID-19, for instance, it was us in Chelsea, uh, but yet we were the last community to set up a uh, test site. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got tested in April and I had to go to, uh, to Weymouth to get tested. Um, there was nothing in Brockton to test anyone and we didn't set up a test site here in the city until we did it ourselves basically in May. So, you know, the whole thing started in February and here we are, you know, March, April, and in May, that's when a, a test site is actually opened up in the city. And then now you move fast, you know, you fast forward to the vaccine issues that are coming down the pipeline. And yet you look at Brockton is one of these funny communities because we're not, we're surrounded by a bunch of little towns. You know, as a matter of fact, if you look at the populations of Stoughton, Easton, West Bridgewater, East Bridgewater, Whitman, Abington, Holbrook, Avon, and Stoughton, you put it all together, basically, those towns' population does not equate the population of Brockton. But we're surrounded by a bunch of smaller communities, which rely heavily on the city of Brockton itself. I mean, it's, uh, I remember when I was mayor, we did a survey. We found out that close to 70% of the homeless people that we had in the city were not people originally from Brockton. You know, there were people coming from the outskirts, from these other communities, uh, coming in looking for services because, you know, this is where the hospitals are, this is where the social services are, this is where the some of these community-based organizations are. So people that are struggling elsewhere coming to the into the city looking for services. Uh, we also found out, you know, the city has been, you know, highly affected. I mean, highly affected by the uh, opioid pandemic that's actually, uh, I call it pandemic because it's affecting uh, the, the country and also the, the, the planet you know, globally in a sense. But we also found out that a large number of those people who are um, either involved in that whole uh, epidemic or pandemic or whatever you want to call it, are also individuals from the outside of the community. So they come to the city because this is where the services are. But yet the state government chooses to uh, with this vaccination, put out uh, vaccine centers in places that, for instance, if you're in Brockton, you'd have to drive to Foxborough, or you have to drive into uh, Boston at Fenway Park in order for you to get uh, a vaccine when your time comes up. And we felt that it was a total neglect of a po major population center. I mean, when you look at it, Brockton is the largest uh, city south of Boston. You know, uh, we're the only city in Plymouth County. I mean, Plymouth County has 26 towns in one city. So we felt that it was a total, you know, slap in the face of anybody that really cares about people in the community to actually have this kind of stuff. So when you look at this and you put it all together, 
the one thing that's common to all of these issues that we have faced in the past uh, comes back to one thing, skin tone. Uh, I can't be convinced otherwise. I can't be, no matter what people tell me, I cannot be convinced that the fact that this is a minority majority city, that is the only reason why we keep, you know, we keep getting dropped on the side of the road the way we've been dropped. So, and this is, uh, uh, again, you know, I, I am so proud of the fact that we have a group like yourselves that are willing to, you know, to do whatever we can to, to help our community out because Look, I've, I've already been vaccinated, but you know how I got vaccinated? Um, I, was in, I was invited by uh, a nursing home group that has several facilities here in the community to go and talk to their, patient, to, uh, their staff because uh, after the you know, phase one was done, they realized that only 37% of their staff had actually consented to, vaccine, to the vaccine. So they wanted me to go up there, and because their staff are largely minority, largely Cape Verdean, Haitian, uh, Brazilians, and, and Hispanic as well, as well as African Americans, for me to go and talk to the, talk to the community about, I mean, to them about the need of them to get vaccinated so that they, in turn, can help the community out. And they basically said, well, since you're coming in with a group of people here, it probably would make sense for some of these staff members to see you getting vaccinated. And that's how I got vaccinated with the, with the vaccine. Um, luckily for me, but unluckily for a lot of other people, I've got an eight-year-old mother who lives with me, who now we have to figure out how to get her vaccinated. She's over 75, and yet we have to figure out a way to get her vaccinated because, again, there's not a vaccination center here in the city that deals with those issues. And as we move forward, you look at the fact that we've got a ton of people, minority people living in, uh, in senior housing that we have to go and convince to somehow uh, take this vaccine where they're seeing the fact that we're struggling so much to get the vaccines into our community. And they're thinking, wait a minute, if it was that simple, if the state wanted everybody vaccinated, if the federal government wanted everybody vaccinated, uh, why is it that you guys have not been able to establish a vaccine center? So it's actually going to make it a lot more difficult for us to go out and convince the community to do this because of the fact that I think the state has dropped the ball big time as far as we're concerned. So this is where we are right now. So I've got, I, I wear a bunch of hats. Uh, I also run the Cape Verdean Association here in Brockton, which is the only minority organization in the community that's actually doing anything in terms of dealing with the, with minority community. We opened the doors back up uh, in May once uh, we were given the okay to open the doors and we're open Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And since May, we have seen over 3,000 families coming through looking for help in uh, applying for unemployment uh, uh, benefits, applying for housing assistance, food stamps, uh, a variety of other issues that they actually have because they've got no place else to go. They've got no place else to go. And when you look at just the unemployment alone, yes, the government has put out all these programs with, you know, special pandemic unemployment and all that other stuff, but they make it so difficult for the average person to go on and sign on to these particular plans that if you don't have that organization or somebody that's actually willing to help you out, it's, it's a lost cause. I mean, you've got individuals who, who are illiterate, you know, in illiterate in Creole, illiterate in English or whatever, that are asked to 
uh, well, you need to do it online. You have to go in and, and create an account and basically sign in online. And then that's not the end of it. They basically, oh, we'll send you an email uh, to let you know what additional documents we need. So once you, you go through that whole process of creating um, basically a, a pro, um, you have them, you know, fi you know file a, some, you know, some unemployment help, but yet they're on their own to basically try to figure out when they get an email. Now, mind you, these are people that have no idea what a computer looks like, never mind to have an email, never mind to be able to answer what comes back. But that's not what's taken into consideration. And for some odd reason, we minorities continue to be forgotten and neglected. I mean, you look at funding that even comes to some of these social service agencies. It doesn't get anywhere. We just got in the city, we've got $900,000 not too long ago from the CARES Act. Not a single, not one, not one minority organization, minority church, uh, you name it, was able to get a dime from that program. It went to the same old cast, the YMCA's of the world. I mean, they even gave it to the Boys and Girls Club that's actually shut down. And my question to the guy in charge of the BRA the other day is, when was the last time that a family went to the Boys and Girls Club looking for some assistance, you know? And he couldn't answer it, but he goes, well, they applied, you know, no one else applied. Well, you know, the reason why no one else applied is because no one else knew that this thing had come down the pipeline and what the application process is. And, and, and frankly, it shows that they have absolutely no interest, no interest of actually making sure that the help is actually getting to what it, what it, where it's needed and where it should go. And that's the frustration that I live on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, I get on, the other day I was on channel five, but technically lambasting the governor because, you know, again, how do you explain the fact that, you know, you're putting these vaccination centers throughout and you want people to, to be vaccinated. We know that minority folks aren't really into the vaccination as we should be. And yet you choose one of the largest population center that's minority based to basically not have a center in here. That's where we're coming from on a regular basis. And I'm glad you folks are here to see what you can do to help us out and, and, and get the word out there one way or the other so uh, we can move forward with this stuff. Questions? Really, really, really important information. Yes, Julia. Go ahead, go ahead, Vanessa. No, I, I, I um, you know, this week, I, I know that we all heard that some of the federally qualified health centers are supposed to be earmarked for, uh, for vaccine. I don't know if, I know that neighborhood, we have a Brockton Neighborhood Health Center that is federally qualified in the, in the community. Do you know anything about whether or not they will, they stay? Well, well, one of the one of the discussions that I've had with them, and I we have, we do have a good relationship with them. As a matter of fact, they're actually working to see how we can get some of the staff uh, from the association vaccinated because they're in the front line. Uh, as a matter of fact, every single employee that we have at the association, and I think there's seven of them, they've all have contracted COVID because mm -hmm. we're, we are dealing with individuals that come in looking for help. I mean, we're we're in some cases facing it what the emergency rooms don't face because at least the emergency rooms and you know you guys are all doctors you understand you know the precautions that you put into play how people are supposed to go through that process we don't have that as a community-based organization so we've had individuals who are positive walking into our places and basically giving every single one of us 
COVID. So we, uh, it doesn't matter. I think we actually even have a couple of young ladies who are 17 that used to help us with the after school programs. We kind of rolled them into this pandemic assistant piece where, because they're very good at computers, they can fill out applications and things and thing like that. I think we've even gotten them um, infected, to be honest with you, you know, because the, all the adults have had it, I have, you know, so um, we actually, I think have all been, and yet we are not, you know, we're not classified as that first, you know, the front line, you know, the first people on, online, but when in fact is, again, we're not as educated as doctors, our facilities is not, are not as um, prepared or secured as hospitals are, but yet we are dealing, we are the frontliners, you know, we are dealing with people that perhaps don't go to the hospital because they're not totally sick, but at the same time, they're coming for, to us because they need, you know, bread and milk, to be honest with you, you know. Um, we, uh, another thing that I actually failed to mention is that just since May, we have given out these, um, these um, grocery cards, uh, $50 grocery cards to the community. I think we've done over $100,000 worth of $50 gift cards uh, to the community. I mean, when you look at the number, the share number of, of how many cards you have to have by the time you reach the hundred and something thousand dollars. And these are funds that I've gone after from foundations somewhere like Boston Foundation has helped us out, uh, Eastern Bank Foundation, uh, Harbor One and um, um, Rockland Trust. They've given us some funds that we actually have turned into these gift cards to give out to the community. But it's not enough, it's not enough. The help that we need is the help that could come from either the feds or the state. But again, because we are in Brockton, we are in this, you know, I refer to Brockton as the Massachusetts purgatory. You know, we're not really in hell, but we're definitely not in heaven. We're stuck in the middle somewhere, just in limbo, you know, waiting for, I don't know, the time to do something with them. Because we do not, you know, it's actually interesting because, um, there's, a, there's some foundations down in New Bedford that deals with the South Coast communities, but they don't come up to Brockton. And then we've got some foundations in Boston that deal with the Boston community, but they don't come down far enough past the, the 128 belt. So we are in this purgatory. You know, we are, you know, in a community that doesn't have a great deal of the of resources like the Boston resources. We don't have you know, the Hancocks, you know, the, the, some of these major foundations and organizations that exist in Boston, we don't have that down here. So we rely on, uh, on the breadcrumbs, whatever falls off the tables that we can collect to help our people out. And that's what we've been doing. So that's, that's the situation that we're facing here. And going back to your question, Vanessa, um, I was told by the, um, you know, by the health center, their, their main prerogative right now is going to be to vaccinate their patients over the age of 75, you know, getting their staff through, getting their, uh, their patients over the age of 75, or their patients that have the dual um, uh, health issues. Um, so the general community or people that are not affiliated with them is not necessarily right. on their radar as of now. Uh, I'm hoping that it would go uh, beyond that real soon, because again, we've got a ton of people who are here undocumented, you know, individuals that are, 
you know, they're magnets for diseases, to be honest with you, because they're not going to the doctors on a regular basis. They're not, I mean, you remember when we worked at Brockton Hospital where the emergency room becomes the catch-all for everything. And by the time they hit the emergency room, it's a little too late. You know, but there's nothing preventive going on. Uh, so that's the that's the population that we're dealing with. And we're seeing that we're seeing this, you know, firsthand because now all those little under the table jobs that they had have gone away because of COVID. You know, and these poor people are stuck here. I mean, we had a, a lady uh, in May that had come to the U.S. to visit a family member. That family member passed away due to COVID. She happened to have, she was pregnant and she happened to have a baby and she was stuck here. All she wanted to do is go back home. There was no flights to be had and she had no way to go anywhere. You know, we had to kind of finagle some things to work with her to, you know, get a, a plane ticket for her and her infant child. And finally we got her home in July, I believe, you know, but this is someone that came in in February to visit someone that kind of contracted uh, COVID early February, March, and passed on, and she was like in limbo, you know, I mean, and that's just not one story, various other individuals, you know, Portuguese people actually were here stuck that had no place to go, you know, so we see this on, on, on every day, but yet we are the, those called unsung heroes that you don't read about, in the paper, that, or people are not putting banners up supporting the fact of the work that's being done in the community, but there's a lot of that going on in the community. Um, and, and it's sad, again, that the government doesn't see that. And a lot of times the, the, the local government doesn't see it, the state government doesn't see it, and the federal government doesn't see it because we're the people that don't really count. I mean, it, it takes a great deal of time just to sit there. Every time you're having a conversation with people about Cape Verdeans, you got to take out a map, you know, to show them where you come from. Right? You know, yeah. I thought you guys were down in Cape Cod. I thought, you know, <laughs> that, that's where the Manchupa and stuff. Um, you know, and it, 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 it's frustrating as hell from some someone like me because you say, well, don't you don't you guys know all the hurricanes come from? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That plays off of Africa. Yeah, that's where we came from. You know, but it takes a great deal of time to sit here and try just to, I mean, in, in conversations alone, the introductions are so much longer for us than it is for everybody else, because we got to go back to the roots and tell them where we are, where we're located. We're not Portuguese. We're not this. We're not, you know, but I thought you guys were Hispanic. We're not Hispanics. You know, we're not, you know, and it takes a great deal of time to get our point across. And that's why, you know, a lot of times we're stuck in limbo. Do you have any numbers or do you know of any numbers with regards to the infection rate in our community and uh, oh, yeah. and the mortality yeah. rates? Well, right now we are overall in the community and I think we have lost 376 individuals. Uh, uh, probably uh, a good, according to the priest. Now, remember, one of the things that we suffer from is the lack of data information. The state here did a real lousy job in terms of classifying people who were uh, COVID positive or actually had passed from, from COVID. Now, we know that the city has close to 11,000 infected individuals. According to the health department here in the city, that over 40 to 45% of those affected by COVID in this community are Cape Verdeans, never mind minorities, are Cape Verdeans. We know that we're not 40 to 45% of the general population, but the, the infected individuals, a vast majority, and these, according to him, 
Dr. Herman, who used to work with us at Brockton Hospital, Vanessa. I uh, remember him. Yeah. You remember him? He was the chief yeah. of medicine yeah. uh, yeah. the emergency yeah. room at, at Brockton yeah. Hospital. Yeah. He's now the health department guy here. According to him, these are just names that they picked out from the list of names that they recognize as Cape Verdean names. So it's not scientific data. It's just recognition of names that they picked out. They had 10,000 names. They, go, they went through the names and they picked up all the Britos, all the Fonsecas, all the Rodriguez's, all the Fernandes. And they came up with over 40% of those names that they recognize as Cape Verdean names. So in fact, we are probably over 50% of that total number, you know, because again, it's nothing scientific. It's just based on the work that they've done in collaboration with the health center that's a, a heavily Cape Verdean uh, user uh, agency. So you're looking at, you know, it's safe to say, based on what the health department is saying, that it's over 40%, uh, close to 45%. So it's safe to say that it's probably around 50 to 55%. No doubt about it, because when you look at it and people say, well, how come your people are so highly infectious in this sense? And I said, well, it's not because we have a magnet on ours that basically says we attract COVID-19. It's the fact that you go to the nursing homes, you find us working at these nursing homes. You know, you go to these grocery stores, guess who you find working at these grocery stores? You go to these factories that are producing uh, around the clock, uh, you know, Pizza, Pizzeria Uno, some of these other, you know, or, or factory organizations we have in this community, it's vastly Cape Verdean working. You know, we live in, in areas sometimes that are not very conducive to keeping the areas uh, infectious free. And you guys know that very well, being from this community. And we live in groups of, you know, everybody and their family lives with us in some way. So if I go out and I'm working at a nursing home that's heavily infected, I come home, I'm going to pass it on to my entire family. That's just the facts of the fact of life. You know, it's the work that we're doing. It's not again, you know, we're not walking around with stickers that says, I want to contract COVID. Please give me COVID. The fact that we are contracting it because we have absolutely, in most cases, no other choice but to go to work. I know I have known stories of people who are working at that pizza place here with hundreds and hundreds of Cape Verdeans working on uh, at them. They were told that you must come to work. I don't care if you're sick, not sick, or whatever the deal is, but you must come to work. And those individuals know other people who are uh, uh, COVID-19 positive working side by side with them. So that's how a lot of them contracted it. And they went home and brought it to their folks. I. According to the priest, the Catholic priest now here in the city, and this is going back in May, June, he actually had done uh, when the numbers were somewhere under 100 as far as the, the death here in the community, he had done over 60 funerals himself of Cape Verdean folks. This is just in the city, never mind the ones that are not Catholic and the ones that are going elsewhere in the sense that he had done. He was doing three, four funerals a day. Yeah. Of, of Cape Verdean files, you know. The so, is 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 uh, really provocative when we think about the actual mortality in Cabo Verde itself. It's only about one hundred and thirty-nine no, people. We blew, we blew those numbers out of the water. I mean, I was telling Vanessa, I was telling Vanessa the other day. I said, "Are you kidding me? I'd rather be in Cape Verde right now because their rates are lower than what Brockton just Brockton, you know. You know, so they're doing much much better." 
with COVID than we are doing here as a city, in, in both in, in numbers and in number of deaths, you know? So that's the situation that we're facing here as a community. And this is relatively young Cavedians, uh, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you're looking at the, uh, you know, the, the Cavedian, you know, immigrants or at least Cavedian families out here. You're not going beyond, you know, the 50s, maybe. You know, right. uh, it's within the, you know, 50 on, basically. You know, from what I get, only like 12 percent of the population in Brockton is above 65 years old. From what right. I. Yeah. yeah, so these are relatively young Cavedians. Yeah. Young yeah. people who are working two to three jobs in the sense to make ends meet. You wow. know, we, you know, it's interesting how politicians in this city say, well, the city couldn't be itself without Cavedians. But you know what? We're also not getting the benefits that should come along with the fact that we are the ones saving the city. You know, uh, and that's and it's sad. It's sad. I don't know exactly what's taking place the other day. Uh, because I am a member of the Massachusetts Municipal Association's Board of Directors. Uh, and this is an organization that kind of over, it's an organization of mayor, city councilor, school committee members. It's a powerful organization because they basically, before uh, funding is allocated into the communities, they have to kind of pass it through this group to kind of um, see it in the sense. And one of the things that I brought up is that I cannot understand why this community continues to be neglected by the powers to be. I don't know what, I, don't, I can't tell you what it is other than the fact that, you know, we have people out there that's supposed to be advocating for us that are not advocating for them, um, but it continues to happen on, on, a, on a regular basis here in this state. Can I just ask, Carla, I'm gonna put you on the spot for half a second here. Um, Carla's based in Rhode Island and I work in Rhode Island. Um, I have, I've noticed that, you know, so when Gina Raimondo left, the governor of Rhode Island left, you know, there's been a, some shifting of the sand. Um, they reprioritized how vaccines were going to get launched in Rhode Island. But in phase 1A, if I'm not mistaken, Central Falls, cities that were, or areas that were designated hardest hit were specifically um, identified as sites where they absolutely wanted to prioritize vaccines, regardless of age. Otherwise, it's it's age that's really driving how um, how is being distributed. Carla, do you do you remember any of, uh, any of like how that decision was made and what you know what levers might might have been pulled to make that happen? Oh, so yeah, so I I um. I'm still driving, so hopefully you guys can hear me. Um, and so I know that one of the things that has been really powerful, and I think that uh, in, in the Project Health CB and some community organizations really came around, and there the the uh, Blackstone Community uh, uh, Valley Blackstone Valley Community is another uh, uh, organization that really you know, that beat COVID-19 and working with the mayor's office. And so there was a really like a community, I think, uh, uh, advocacy that was really strong in terms of, of, of uh, you know, putting it out there and working. Um, so that was one of the lessons in terms of, of just 
from what I could see of community uh, advocacy and community groups. And, and I was really, really proud in terms of, you know, what Project Health TV has done in working with and, and Dr. Fine. And then Zhuang, you can speak to this as well in terms of some of his leadership through the Blackstone Valley Community Health Center to really have a voice within um, um, uh, the, in terms of the policies and to show that these are the communities that are being affected the most. And then, um, uh, you know, making sure that the, the policies reflected that. So I think um, that's part of it um, is that uh, they had, I think, a strong advocate and a strong voice uh, within uh, starting, you know, setting forth the policy very early on. And uh, I don't know in terms of how, why that's different and, you know, has been different in Brockton or in these other communities, but I think um, and they are vaccinating, and I think the numbers um, in Central Falls. And I think the other thing too is like you know, you know, equity, you know, like fairness. And whenever you talk about that, that has been the biggest problem because people think that uh, you know when you start talking about that, that somehow it's unfair. But um, that's I for me, that's one of the things that I saw. So I don't know um, how else that came about from a policy standpoint, but. Um, Zhuang, I don't know if you have anything to say in terms of the, the Project Health TV and uh, how they they advocated and, and uh, for, for getting some of the resources into those two communities. Can, can you guys hear me now? As you said, so there was a lot of involvement in the Project Health TV participate, you know, strongly and actually one of the members of Project Health CV currently is working for the mayor's office. And I remember even though, so when they and you were there too, so we did a lot of tests and even the mayor was there. I think when the mayor was there and he saw the number of people that were going there to do the test might have some impact because you know, the decision is gonna come from above once they receive the information from the base. So the mayor saw a lot of people there there was a lot of involvement of community and we have many doctors, Dr. Fine, the doctor that has been involved in the Department of Health. So I, I'm not sure, but almost sure that participation of the community having the mayor involved directly with the people that went there to do the test and you saw the mayor there, he has a, he has a strong impact in the vaccination now. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a coalition. We, a yeah. that, that's some of what we're learning is that a coalition of people really put pressure on the administration and then it, it went obviously went up the chain because the government, the state government is really like in Massachusetts, they're the ones who are allocating, uh, allocating vaccines. Defense, yes, and the vaccines, yes. Moses, we, we've been trying to get involved in terms of public education, public health education on the community with webinars and public service announcements. But I'd like to know from you, uh, how can we help? Uh, what kind of things, concrete things you think we'll be able to do to help? Well, well I, I think, um, you know, what might work is the, because I also wanna, I also wanna state that in, in our city, we, we do have a very good relationship with the, again, with, with the city government. I mean, I, I, I'm a city councilor, you know, the, 
the highest vote getter in the city council. Um, so we do have city government involved in this particular thing, but unfortunately we don't control the vaccine. You know, we don't control the vaccines and we don't, we can't designate uh, Brockton as a vaccine center. All we can do is make uh, as much noise as we possibly can up the chain. Uh, we've written letters to the governor. We've read, you know, the mayor has written letters to the governor. We've gone on television. We've gone on radio. We've gone on its newspaper, basically, honestly, bitching about this whole thing, that it's not being done equitably. Um but perhaps what we probably could use is, uh, you know, letters of support, letters, some things from you guys that basically goes directly into DPH maybe um, as, as Cavridian physicians that basically kind of recognize the issue. So perhaps you can kind of direct that, you know, th those issues directly to the DPH because it, it makes no sense to do it to me because if you send me a letter that you're basically just kind of validating what I just told you a few minutes ago, you know, and it, it yeah. me again, if we could get, if I could go down the street and buy the vaccines, we wouldn't be having these issues. But I can't go down the street and buy the vaccines because we're not, the cities and towns are not authorized to have direct shipments of vaccines coming to them. It would be so much easier to be honest. With you. And I think I could have probably have gotten half the city vaccinated by now if that was the case, but it's not, you know, we rely on the state uh, to when and when when they uh, they want to be able to one designate this community as a, a needed community and two to deliver the vaccines that are needed for the community itself. So that's the only thing I could think of because it, again it makes no sense yeah. for us to go beat up the mayor yeah. here. The poor mayor is basically saying, "Yay, I'm with you. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Let's well, go get him. What, what do we need to do to get him?" Yeah. Uh, again, it's the governor. It's the um, it's the it's the state's the Department of Public Health that has not acted as they should because everybody that you know can basically sign a dotted line, send an email to them has done so, and yet somehow I don't know why they continue not to see this issue that we're all bringing here. Mm -hmm. You know that you know what you might get all your lily white communities vaccinated, but if you don't take care of this community, remember we do have cars. We travel, we go places. Uh, most of us go to restaurants outside of Brockton. So it's not just, you know, you'll take care of the lily white communities. We're gonna show up in your communities and we're gonna continue to infect your people. So they need to understand that it's not just a Brockton issue, that it's it should still be considered a state issue since we're not as, you know, you know, we're able to travel around and we'll continue to do that. But I guess what I would say is probably get some sort of a letter or, phone calls, whatever you guys can do to help us out to communicate it up the chain with, uh, uh, with the state because yeah. they do take I, your, your um, uh, expertise and your you know qualifications and set, in a sense into consideration. I was gonna just one other, uh, going back to Vanessa's uh, question about, I think why the impact of the advocacy from Project Health CB and uh, a Blackstone Community Health Center and uh, was, I think, a very effective uh, is in terms of working in parallel. You know, I, I know that this, there's a lot of regional in terms of rules, uh, what the Department of Health will, will uh, and but my state, regional and federal rule, but, you know, we became our own, they, they, they created their own testing center so that we could test. And then now 
we there the next step is i just actually volunteered and they're creating a uh community uh volunteer where people get trained on administering the vaccine so working in parallel with if there's not something that's there creating it because one of the issues was in the you know especially Pawtucket in central falls was yeah there wasn't a place to go get tested or the availability of tests was not there and so those centers and project health tv um really became you know set up those systems themselves as long as they were within some of the guidelines so not knowing the rules, you know, how or the laws, uh, the way that they are there. But I know here we've been able to work in parallel with the with the Department of Health and the other uh, kind of uh, uh, traditional places where people can go get tested and people can get vaccinated. Um, so I, it might be knowing what those, you know, what those rules are and with the federal system and uh, with the new, some of the new guidelines that the, the, this new administration may have other resources that that uh, maybe we can work that way versus having to rely on the state um, um, for for Massachusetts. Okay. I, I don't I don't know the the laws of the you know the so laws. Massachusetts. I, I have a comment. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, first of all, I, I I'd like to say thank you for an incredibly revealing presentation. Um, things I just had no idea about. Um, it seems that we can certainly write letters and make phone calls if that's helpful. Um, I'm in Florida and have been working in Ohio a lot, and I can tell you that that folks under under 75 in Ohio are not being vaccinated, and folks under 65 are not being vaccinated in Florida. So I I, I think that's going to be kind of a, a a wait and see, even for Massachusetts, even for um, an at-risk population. Um, I I'm even more concerned that in addition to what you've said about the COVID problems about your housing and, and food insecurity issues and how we can possibly help with that. Um, I mean, clearly this is a population that, that really deserves attention sooner than later. So please help guide us, not just for the COVID. I think it's gonna be a while before you can get people who are 55 and under vaccinated, um, you know, taking a look at what's happening in other states, uh, but tell us what we can do to help with that in the future and also with the food and housing and security issues? Well, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, once I found out that you guys uh, actually exist as a group, I was, I was thrilled you know, into the fact that we've got a group of professional individuals in the medical profession who are you know, meeting on a regular basis, looking at some of these issues globally as far as uh, we Cape Verdeans are concerned. So that alone, to me, it's almost like, uh, uh, such a such a on a, a welcoming sight to be honest with you uh, i know we're going to have some major issues going forward with food insecurities i mean i've already mentioned to you that again just in the few months that we had those funds how quickly we went through the funds to uh, just to provide i mean imagine a 50 dollar gift card to a supermarket might bring mm -hmm. you nowadays you know a couple of pieces much. of meat uh, milk a couple you know stacks of bread or whatever and that's about it but at least it's something that they had which will they will continue to need because this whole thing isn't going away anytime soon to be honest with you i think the way the way we're walking on molasses here in massachusetts i don't see us coming out of this thing uh and until reasonably September, October, perhaps of next year, the way we're going. 
the way we're going, I don't see us coming out of it because if in phase one, in the beginning of phase two, look at the number of people that have been vaccinated so far and look what the population of the state is and the fact that the areas that need this, uh, we have set up some sites here in the city that as soon as we get the okay from the state, they become centers of vaccination. You know, we've done that on our part, but the one, the one key ingredient that's missing is the vaccine. So I think it's nationally a problem. Right. So it doesn't matter if we set up a hundred sites, but if the state does not designate us as a site and start getting those vaccines into those sites so that they can get vaccinated, we're just, uh, it's going to be a long haul here because by the time I think uh, the vaccines become available, readily available, I think we're going to have such a pushback from the community that it becomes a camp, a major campaign just to convince people to take the shot. You I know, think that back Vaccine hesitancy is going to be a major problem in that population. It is here in Florida in the black and brown population as well as Ohio. Right. So, but, if the, but the fact that we don't even have these things set up so we can say to people, see that place right there? That's a place where you can go get the vaccine because our fight right now is just to set up those places, you know, where in the other communities, they're not going through that process. We are, we are still going through the walking process, and then we're going to have to go into the convincing process for people to take the vaccine. Because well, help I, us help you. Help us to help you. Well, uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I think the first thing we need to do is get that designation from the state, because if the state designates this area as a vaccine center, then it makes it a lot easier for us to use you guys, use everybody else, you know, to basically convince the population to be vaccinated. Yes. Well, is, are there, uh, is there a specific uh, office or, or person or that we should direct and funnel our, our information, yes. uh, our letter of support? I, I would say the governor himself in the Department of Public Health. Okay. You know, the commissioner, the commissioner of the Department of Public Health and the governor himself. Yeah. You know, those two individuals are the ones that actually have to step up and help this community out. Because once I believe, once I think at least those, those barriers are taken down in the sense, I think it starts the process of, you know, because it's like, you can't miss it. Oh, by the way, there's a, a, one of the closeout uh, supermarkets here in the city, a former stop and shop is the location that we're looking at as a, a vaccination center. Once it gets established as a vaccination center, then it'll be easier for me to direct people to it. But right now, I can't direct anybody to anything because I don't have anything to direct them to. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing for this group to know is, is that the commissioner is, um, uh, is a woman of color mm. in the Department of Public Health and, and she's had COVID. I think well, she's, maybe we can contact okay. her with I think not just letters. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying she ought to have an a special affinity for hearing from from well, us. She probably, she probably has no idea where Brockton is located, to be honest with you, because sometimes right. this is what happens when we have individuals of color in certain positions that have no idea what color looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's un un unfortunately sad, but also very true. Uh, because again, if this is the second, uh, one of the most affected communities why is it that we have to fight and struggle to get a center put into this community? Great points. I think there's so much work for us to do here. 
And uh, we can definitely start. This is a low-hanging fruit as far as doing advocacy directly to the Department of Health and to the governor's office. Uh, that's a low-hanging fruit for us. I think the other, the other place where we need to be is in public education because even without a vaccine and even after the vaccine, we need to continue to educate people about a prevention of disease. Uh, I had a conversation with a nurse from Brockton Hospital actually last week, who um, was telling me of her frustration with, uh, with uh, some uh, folks there who think that grog will actually kill the virus and we don't have to wear a mask because we just have the grog and it'll take care of it. So they end up in this basement uh, uh, like basements where they have like uh, get together and drink rock oh, yeah. together oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and they yeah. uh, there's no social distancing and those are like uh, you know high risk environments yeah. in general. It is happening. So. It is happening. It is happening and we know of it. We've shut down a few of them. I mean we actually had bar owners who were you know they shut down their bars because of the orders to shut them down but they were directing people to basement uh, so-called satellite uh, bars. And we found two, 20, 30 people sometimes at these particular places uh, enjoying a good Saturday evening or a Friday night, you know, um, as if nothing ever happened, to be honest with you. you know? Yeah, yeah. We know that that's actually happening, but the vast majority of the people that I think are um, COVID infected in this community actually got it through. Uh, employment and the fact that they actually have to get out of the house and uh, and get those uh, their uh, you know food issues in, in gear uh, uh, home issues in gear and that's how they got a, they got infected infected by this whole thing and uh, but again uh, I mean you go down I come back to uh, to the state because we uh, you know we try to rely on science but look how much information is available I don't know how it is in Rhode Island I don't know how it in some of these other communities, but honestly, uh, Portuguese is the second language of the state of Massachusetts. Portuguese, not Spanish, Portuguese. When you put all the Portuguese speaking communities together, Portuguese is, the, is, is more spoken in this community than Spanish is. But yet you go down on the websites of the state and some of these other locations that provide you information about COVID and all that other stuff, it's not in Portuguese. It's not in Creole. It's not in a language that these folks understand because it's never been a priority. I mean, our, I think going back to my days, because I don't know if you guys know this or not, I spent 12 years of my life working at Brockton Hospital as the, as the head of uh, community relations and interpreter services for, for Brockton Hospital. And that's what I, I, I knew uh, uh, Vanessa from. Uh, even going back in those days, you look at information, um, educational information that comes down the pipeline from agencies that are supposed to provide you with those information. Because you know what happens a lot of times? You're relying on you and so on and so forth. We do, we're doing this on a voluntary basis as we can on the side. But you've got people who are paid professionally to do these things, and they have not done it. Uh, I know that our issue lies with, within the Azorian community here in Massachusetts because they try to stay away from being known as Portuguese for the longest time because they felt that they, you know, it, it didn't give them that American uh, flavor or whatever, but not realizing that they're actually hurting themselves because one, they had difficulties with English themselves, and two, they were not able to 
you know, help us in numbers for us to get uh, the, the, the needed work that we needed to get. So that's the struggles that we've had for the longest time in the state where you've got a large number of people who are Portuguese speakers, not Portuguese, Portuguese speakers, but yet we have not been able to get any uh, of, the, of the information that have, has come down the pipeline to help the community out. If anything, it's been all Cape Verdean push. I mean, you look at the fact that you can go to a university and find uh, your Cape Verdean as an ethnic group on those particular applications that you apply for, it's not because it was given to us by anybody else before us, it's through the struggles that we've put in that actually uh, requires those, those changes. You go to every single hospital around here, you find interpreters who are Cape Verdean speaking. It's not the Portuguese that actually helped us with this, but it's our struggles and our pushing that actually have done that. You folks that actually have you know, gone through school and done this, this things that you need to do to help your communities out, it's through your own struggles that you've done that. It's not because anybody handed you So that's the struggles that we continue to have. And the lack of information that exists here is because a lot of times the, those that are empowered to help us with this uh, particular information have not done their part to help us. Indeed, indeed. And it's time for us to give back. It sounds like we need just a little bit of data to put into a powerful letter that we get to Monica Burrell and other people in D at DPH. I don't know if we want to join hands with uh, with anybody else to to you know enforce the numbers, but I think we, collectively we have enough firepower to be able to put together a cohesive letter that could, I think, you know, with your help and, and input could really- um, That would help, that I think- Convey the, that convey think, the that case. Convey How about the collaborating case. with the, Portuguese, the Cape Verdean nurses? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, I'll reach out to them about that. And uh, uh, that'd be a great suggestion. Thank you, Susan. Uh -huh. Great. And maybe the social workers that we talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. Thank you. We've got well, a lot this, of work to do. This is, yes, this has been really, really helpful. And I well, think thank you. for us, we have, we have our marching orders, I think. And yeah, please. We should give ourselves, you know, this week yeah. to really, you know, bind it with time, some time, otherwise it never happens, to really put together a draft that we get to you. You can... You can help us with the. All, all I will do, all I'll do to your draft is add my name to it if I need if I need to because that's all I would do, you know. Because uh, let me tell you, it's been so frustrating. You yeah. wouldn't believe how frustrating it is when you get, you know, five, ten calls a day for people saying, "Hey, I saw you on TV talking about the vaccine. Where do I sign up?" And it's like, um, "Well, uh, you got my number. Call me in a couple of weeks, you know, because where, where do they sign up?" Yeah. You know, there's nothing out there for me. Yeah. It's so, Julio, I, I, this is a side conversation I'm having within the family. Julio, we got this lovely invitation from the president of the country, but we have a very, we have a burning bush right here. Yes, yes. I agree. That I yes. think if we're gonna, if we're gonna start to galvanize ourselves, yeah, where we need to focus. Yeah, work to do. Yeah, this is definitely. Yeah. Well, we, we can uh, walking chew gum, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Angolan community doing. I have a special affinity. I lived in Angola for like five years. Oh yeah. Well, they're doing well. They're, they're big. They're, they're, 
Angolan community in the United States? Oh, there's a large one here in Brockton. Yeah. Uh, wow. A lot of Angolan slash Cape Verdeans, but uh, mm -hmm. you know they're very good. Uh, we have a very good relationship in terms of the association and and, and them. They use our facilities to have meetings and wow. do a variety of other stuff. So it's like intertwined in a way, you know, between yeah, the two yeah. uh, the two communities, and uh, they're doing very well. Uh, they're doing very well, um, you know, socially in the sense, in terms of, you know, a lot of them have businesses in the community, move, you know, doing doing real well. You know, real well. Wow. Uh, retail establishments and all kinds of things out here. So they're doing, they're doing real well. That's good. Thank you so much, Moses. And it's right, been a pleasure. We, we count on having you back. And Moses, one more thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. You know, we yeah, we do run a, a podcast and we record the sessions. If okay. it's okay with your permission, I can turn yeah. this into a podcast. And Absolutely. I mean, nothing we said here is uh, yeah. is strange to anybody's ears. I mean, yeah. all they have to do is open the newspaper here locally or, or some of these other things and they see yeah. the cry. Uh, it reminds me of... Uh, back in the days of the real Moses and the cry of the people of Israel, you know, <laughs> this is exactly what's taking place here. You know, yes, yes. Uh, often when I say my people, my people, my people, one of my council members the other day said to me, would you cut the crap with this, your people stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you, what do you think? You're the real Moses. I go, no, but it's the same thing. You know, I see the same thing happening here. So yeah. um, unfortunately the, you know, the cries aren't being uh, heard, you know, right. we continue to have these issues. Thank you so much. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. Yes. Yeah, listen, you you folks as well, man. I like I said, I am thrilled. I am thrilled. I can't wait to uh, meet up with the rest of the board here in the association, so I can tell them that I I spoke with you guys and you're spread out all over the place. Please keep up the work that you're doing. Please keep up the spread. You know, the spread the Cape Verdean word out there, so that these people don't think that we came from Cape Cod or from this place. <laughs> And most yeah. of us who did. <laughs> well, I, I came from the Cape as well, but I mean, that we're not down there, you know, that there's actually a place called Cape Verde that's doing very well uh, in its location. I mean, we're proud of the fact that our country is one of the, the best run countries in Africa, you yeah. know, we'll continue to do that. And it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a sense of pride. I mean, I don't care if you're in PACV, MPD, or whatever party you belong to, but the fact is that we have had uh, a stable country for a long time. We are uh, an example of governance in that, in that continent. And uh, the fact that we have people like yourselves out here, it just uh, continues to, to, to give us uh, a great deal of pride and uh, to know that we're doing the right thing. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. OK, bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this um, fascinating discussion. Uh, it is quite an eye-opener to learn that uh, more Caverians died of COVID in the city of Brockton than in the Caverian. Indeed, uh, there's much work to be done in terms of uh, how we can contribute to this problem and uh, to improve the access to healthcare in the Cape Verdean communities in Massachusetts. Obrigado, Bob, to me, Daddy, Stadikulansi, and 
the experiments gosto de ouvir a discussão que foi extremamente relevante em termos de, de ser exatamente aquele problema de acesso à saúde na comunidade capitana Brampton é uma surpresa para mas que morre na Brampton de que na Cabo de pandemia de Covid-19. Uh, obrigado, muito espero que conta com a nossa presença no futuro uh, uh, podcast. Thank you.